Welcome to Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com and visit the Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire blog at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. Today's guest is Sarah Crawford, the author of the YA novels We Own the Sky and Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. She graduated in 2008 from Kennesaw State University with a BA in English and in 2012 from the University of New Orleans with an MFA in Creative Writing, Emphasis in Playwriting. Currently, in addition to working as a freelance writer and internet marketer, she is also a creative writing professor in the graduate program at Southern New Hampshire University, teaching online classes. She also loves to talk about books, music, and writing on her YouTube channel. Sarah joined me today to talk about the pros and cons of self-publishing versus traditional publishing, as well as how to stay healthy emotionally, physically, and mentally as a writer. The greatest treasure, a most dangerous magic. Growing up with a traveling circus, Genevieve Flannery is accustomed to a life most teenagers could never imagine. But when her mother leaves behind a dangerous, magical legacy, it threatens to unravel everything and everyone Genevieve holds dear. Slight by Jennifer Summersby. Your YA titles, We Own the Sky and Hurry Up, We're Dreaming, are self-published. So talk a little bit about your choice to take the self-publishing route and what some of the specific challenges as well as the benefits of a self-publishing are. I started writing We Own the Sky. It was called The Muses at the time. I think that was back in like 2012. And in 2013, I got a literary agent. I was on submission with publishers like off and on three and a half, four years. So, and I always knew that self-publishing was an option, but I was kind of resistant to it. It was pretty appropriate for my book actually, because the book is all about art and creation and being inspired and muses. And one of the messages of the book is that art is for everyone. So I felt like it was really actually appropriate that I was self-publishing. The challenges with self-publishing A lot of them are similar to the challenges with publishing in general, just because there's so many books out there nowadays. It's all about, you know, marketing and attention and how do you make your book stand out above the others. But I feel like traditionally published authors go through that as well. There are specific challenges with self-publishing YA in particular, because Teenagers don't tend to actually read self-published YA. Most of the readers that you get are actually adults that are reading YA. So if you want to reach out to the teenage audience, it's I think it's better to go with traditional publishing. But yeah, I mean, the benefits are pretty obvious. I mean, you have total control over the whole process, which is scary for some people. But if you're like me and you want to have control over the cover designer or what the cover looks like or the editor that you end up using all that kind of stuff. So that that can be really good. You can get up to 70% of royalties, which is, Mm -hmm. and you can control the pricing and the promotions. Did you 
find any specific ways as a self-published author to find that teen audience? Because I think it's interesting that you're saying it is harder to reach actual teen readers as a self-published author. For one thing, why do you think that is? And for another, any tips for how to find them? Maybe it's because we're all so obsessed with screens and we spend so much time on our phones that I think teen readers kind of like when they're reading a book, maybe they want to break from that and go back to like print books and something physical they can hold in their hands. I also think it has a lot to do with teens don't have control over the credit card. So they're not just going on Amazon and buying books all the time. Ways to reach out to teens. I think book blogs and like Instagram and I don't know that I've really done the best job of reaching out to teens myself, but you know, it's something that I'm always working on. All of us are. (laughs) Most of your readers then are adults. I'm not surprised. I can say that as a traditionally published YA author, most of my readership I have, don't know as far as percentage, but a lot of my readership is definitely adults. I did a event last week. Maybe 15 people were there, and I think two of them were teenagers. The rest were adults. One of them was actually a book club, an adult book club, that had read my book, and so they showed up. That's perfectly fine with me. I don't care who is reading my book. It doesn't matter to me one way or the other. As long as people are reading it, I'm happy. I'm doing things like that where I'm actually seeing my audience face-to-face. How do you determine what your age range is of your readers? How do you know then that most of your readers are adults? What kind of feedback are you getting that tells you that? I'm going by emails and direct com- like communications that I've had with my readers. A few people have actually mentioned that they are adults in the reviews, which I I know you're not supposed to read reviews, but it's a little different when you're a self-published author and you you like soliciting reviews from people. It doesn't really matter. Like you're saying, I mean, like a story is a story and it's nice to have teen readers, but not exclusively. I'm an adult. I'm going to write things that I would enjoy reading as well. When I'm writing I don't give any thought to gearing this story towards teenagers or anything like that. People ask me, what would you do differently if you were writing adult? And the answer is nothing. I just write the story. I think if it were to go the other way, if I were writing for middle grade, then yes, I would actually change things about the way that I operate because my content is gritty, my language is coarse, all of those things would change. But when I write for teens, I don't do anything differently than I would do writing for adults. For me, there's no, as you were saying, the story is what matters and I'm going to execute that. And whoever picks it up is who picks it up. Right. And I think about when I was a teenager, I mean, young adult wasn't really a thing when I was a teenager. There were a few books. I was reading Anne Rice and things that were specifically Mm -hmm. for adults. It's just all stories. And I think a lot of adults are kind of gravitating towards young adult books because it's a very interesting time to write about because people are kind of finding their identities. And that's something that we always Mm -hmm. go through, like at any stage in life. 
So you have an MFA in creative writing with a concentration in playwriting. So talk a little bit about what an MFA has done for you and maybe also a little bit about what it hasn't. My MFA is from the University of New Orleans and it was a low residency program, which means that I took online classes and then For the in-person parts, I actually did study abroad semesters. I did one in San Miguel de Allende in Mexico and then one in Edinburgh in Scotland. And so those two experiences, traveling and having that, that time being with a bunch of writers in a different country, invaluable to my writing and my life in general. I would not take it back for anything. I think a lot of people go into MFAs with this idea that it's going to help them get published. That might be the case Mm -hmm. if you're going to a school in New York or a school that the people have a lot of connections. That wasn't really my goal going to the MFA. But the main thing that the MFA did for me was just experience. And I learned so much about not only playwriting, but writing in general and really life in general. A lot of people that I talked to who are considering getting an MFA. Some of them are doing it because of feather in their cap. And as an example of how serious they are about writing, which is true, obviously, if they're going to take on that kind of debt and experience. But having an MFA does not automatically make you a great writer. And agents and editors know that. I would never go get an MFA simply because I hope it'll help me get published. I think you're making a good point because I know many, many great writers that don't have MFAs. I know many fantastic writers that didn't even go to college. So I don't think the MFA does not make the writer going into that experience and accumulating that student debt. Definitely listeners think about that. If it's something that you are considering attempting Because you're looking at it as a stepping stone towards publishing, I wouldn't view it in that way. Right. And the student debt is definitely something to think about. I say I don't regret my MFA, and I don't when I think about going to Mexico or going to Scotland or, you know, all the different professors that I worked with. But then, you know, when I see my student loan bill, I just cry. Sure. (laughs) If you're the kind of person that that makes you nauseous or if it bothers you, because some people can, can carry that kind of debt and just be like, yeah, that's life. I had that experience and this is what I owe for it. Some people can operate that way and some people yeah, can't. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, I don't plan to have children. So, well, it's cheaper than having children. So <laughs> there you go. And you won't be putting them through college. Right. So you're just, you're just putting yourself through. That's one way to look at it. Walking back a bit then, as far as education, you have a BA in English, which I do as well. I never took any writing classes in college, but I really do believe that my study of the works of other writers deepened my own skill set. So did you have that same experience and can you talk about that? I actually did take some writing classes in college, but I, I took poetry and playwriting. So I didn't actually take any fiction writing classes because I felt like the literature classes that I was taking were kind of like fiction writing classes in my mind. You're studying how things are written and what different authors are doing. 
I feel like that's the most important part, just reading a lot. And I took some really amazing classes in college. One class that was all about like the artist in literature. That was amazing. When I was taking my classes, I learned so much about criticism for one thing, like how to apply different types of criticism, which helped me see how to deconstruct a book and you see all these different elements and you can see different things at work that the author is doing. And sometimes it was interesting to me how you would see things that you think the author is doing, but the author did not intend it that way. And that's something that I find interesting when I have experiences with readers who talk to me about the way they interpreted a certain scene or a certain book or even something as simple as the name that I chose for a character. Basically, they give me like way too much credit. When you chose this name, it was keeping in line with this Greek name for one of the Furies. And I'm just like, no, I just really like that name. I do that as well. When I am reading something, I'll be definitely getting the mileage out of my degree and applying different types of criticism and seeing what I can pick apart and what I'm drawing out of it and all of these different things. And it's very possible that none of those were the writer's intention. I think it's very helpful when I am writing to to draw on those experiences that I had in college, even though I didn't take any writing classes. Another thing I feel like as a writer, you never stop learning. I have a BA, I have an MFA, I have all these years of experience. I work as a freelance writer and, and I feel like I learn something new like every day. And sometimes it's even from like a blog post or a YouTube video or podcasts. I just feel like you never stop learning and growing as a writer and and there's always more to learn. I think it's kind of exciting in that way. We continue to grow as well. It's something I think about when I think about music, when I'm listening to bands, when people mock certain bands, one of the things that comes up all the time will be like, well, their music all sounds the same. If you hear one song, you've heard them all. That can be very true of writers as well. If you've read some writers, if you've read one of their books, you've read them all. And they're just giving you variations on a theme. And if you don't continue to grow as a writer, you're going to be that writer. Some people, they want that. Some people want that comfort of listening to the same song with different lyrics 35 times. And some people love having that writer that they can use as a touchstone. They know exactly what they're going to get when they come back to that writer. I personally want to see bands trying new things, doing different things. I want to see writers challenging themselves because I personally, when I write across so many different genres, I'm always using each book to be something different for me. One book will be, this is the book where I'm really going to focus on creating a complex plot not making this straightforward and this is going to actually be something I have to personally untangle before I deliver this. And a different book will be, this is my internal book. This is the one that doesn't have much dialogue. This is the one that is going really deep inside of this character and it's very introspective. So every book I am aiming to deliver something different and also to right. hone something different in I, myself. I feel I'm kind of both ways. Like sometimes I want to read a book that's going to really like challenge me and, and 
and I'll see something new that I haven't seen before. And then sometimes I really just want to read something and it's, it's okay if it's kind of predictable and it just has a certain tone that I just want to immerse myself in. It's kind of like watching a rom-com. You always know how it's going to end, but sure. There's something comforting about it, you know, and I think that's how readers are too, especially with different genres, especially romance. You have a certain beats that you have to hit. Mm -hmm. Readers expect it to end a certain way and they expect the characters to be certain ways and they expect all these tropes to kind of be in there. There can be something comforting about that. I think you can kind of do both. I think you can use the expected tropes and plots and characters and put your own spin and and still grow as a writer. Romance, you're mentioning, that is the most tropey genre that there is, I think. And yet, I think it has the highest volume as well. I mean, the writers just crank it out and crank it out. And the reason why they're cranking it out is because people are reading it. That's especially true with self-published writers. And I think that the romance is the genre that's doing the best in indie publishing. These readers are just voracious. Mm -hmm. I mean... They just read so much. And so some writers like can't put out books fast enough for these people. So I think it's great. Coming up, how freelancing can be lucrative for a writer and where to find Sarah online. Rachel tries to get struck by lightning, hoping it will lead to finding her soulmate like it did for her mother. But when she discovers a devastating secret from her mother's past, Rachel questions everything and quits chasing storms. Now her best friend has ditched her, her mom's angry with her, and the evolving relationship with her friend Jay starts to unravel. The impulse to get struck by lightning resurfaces, and there's a storm coming. Read Soulstruck, the new young adult novel by Natasha Sinel. So you mentioned that you are... A freelancer. Talk a little bit about that because I think it's interesting to look at that aspect of writing when you're writing, taking on small jobs, taking on whatever you can get for a paycheck. And I think it's a very scary thought for a lot Mm -hmm. of people. It's hard. I write a lot of web content for different businesses and I end up writing about a lot of random things. I did a big project for a drug and alcohol rehab center recently. And then I did another project for a urology website. So like, I'm always writing about these different things. It can be really good. I think as, as a writer to challenge yourself to write about things that you wouldn't normally like just choose to write about having sort of a sense of guilt when I was working on just writing stuff for work all day and I didn't get a chance to like work on my novels you know and I would feel like well I didn't write today but then I started looking at it like oh no I actually wrote a thousand words it was just about rehab any writing helps you in some way as a writer is it hard to switch tracks like mentally if you're working on something like nonfiction, if you're writing about rehab you're writing about urology and you're writing web content is it hard then to flip it it's never really hard to go back to fiction because that just is kind of what comes naturally to me 
the creative, you know, storytelling side. Sometimes it is hard for me to get started with the web content. And sometimes that can feel a little like daunting in my brain. Like I have, oh, I have so many pages to write about rehab and I just don't know what to say. But then once I get into it and I just start doing research and figure out what I'm going to say, it becomes easier. And sometimes it, it, it can be hard, like at the end of the day, when you've been writing all this other stuff to sit down and work on your novel. Sometimes you have to adjust, work on your novel in the morning and then do your web content throughout the rest of the day. It's like I'm always trying different things and seeing what works. And this is what you do for a living. A lot of it is not just writing, but I, I do like some marketing. So I do like outreach for different clients and try to get people to link to their website on their website and, and stuff like that. I'm drafting like emails. So I guess it all involves some kind of writing. I do so much work in front of the computer all day. Sometimes it's not even just writing, you know, I'll be doing my own marketing. I'll be doing, I'll be on social media. I'll be answering emails. Like yesterday, I think I was answering emails for two hours at one point because I had contracts coming in. I had things that I had to fill out. I had all kinds of different stuff that I had to do that was busy work in a lot of ways, but it was somebody has to do it and I'm the person that has to do it. I'm in front of the computer all the time working on podcast episodes. I put five to seven hours every week into each episode. This week I'm recording all the episodes for next month. That's without me doing any writing. Like everything I just mentioned is no writing. That kind of sucks at times because I am an outdoor person. Can't just sit in front of my computer all day. I don't think it's healthy for me. It certainly isn't going to keep my house standing. I struggle with making sure that I'm up, making sure that I'm moving, making sure that I'm getting outside. Also my posture because of the way I sit and it's my own fault, but the way I sit when I'm sitting in front of my computer, my, my shoulders are forward, they're slumps. There's also your interpersonal relationships because when you're in front of that computer and you're focusing, you're so inward. It's like, I have to actually make it a point to be like, I don't think I've spoken to my boyfriend today. He lives here. So it's like, I have to go find him and be like, hey, hi, how are you? That can be a real challenge. And I think a lot of writers and especially freelancers have to really balance that. I definitely relate to a lot of what you're saying. My husband, he works from home as well. Both have a lot of content that we're trying to do to market ourselves. We're thinking about starting a podcast. I have a YouTube channel. I have a creativity blog. Like, it's kind of insane. I think there are little things that you can do to help. Like, lately, I started every couple of hours making myself take, like, a 10 or 15-minute walk outside. And that really has been helping. Mm -hmm. Joanna Penn just came out with a book, The Healthy Writer. There's a lot of, like, tips on health specifically for writers and she talks about a lot of these things that that you're mentioning definitely would recommend people checking that book out one of the things I do to make sure that I am still functioning physically mentally and socially I go to the gym I have a gym that I've been going to for five years now because of the fact that I have been going there for a while it's kind of my social circle like my friends are people at the gym now I have yoga, I have a circuit class, and then I either do a kickboxing or a CrossFit class. I make myself go. 
it doesn't matter what I'm doing, how involved I am in what I'm doing. I'm like, okay, you, you need to go, you need to wake up. You need to get your body moving. You need the exercise, but you also need the social interaction because I don't think you've said 15 words today to someone in front of your face. I like your tip about being social at the gym. I go to the gym as well, but I, I always just listen to podcasts. I used to just go and lift and, and be on the machines like by myself, but I started actually taking classes and doing things like with a group so that I could be more social. It pushes you in, in all the ways. And it pushed me physically, it pushed me mentally because I can't run. I am a crap runner. And of course, socially, because everybody's really friendly and, and you know, people want to talk. So, you know, making actual like it friends as an adult is very hard, I have found. We're talking about freelancing and you were talking about these different jobs that you pick up. Where do you find these jobs? How do you get hired for them? My brother actually runs a marketing agency, so he gives me a lot of work. I also find some work on uh, different sites like Thumbtack, Upwork. I've kind of built up a client base now so that I've gotten kind of repeat projects from people I've worked for in the past. But it's definitely possible. Uh, You kind of have to, to hustle and constantly be out there looking for for work i am familiar with upwork i haven't heard of thumbtack i've done a little bit of that type of work when i was in between writing novels and deadlines just for some extra cash on the side i also found uh, that just doing transcription was easy for me because i type super fast oh yeah yeah i used to be a medical transcription that's the kind of thing that I can do and it's not taxing me mentally like in the creative area. I'm just transcribing. Uh, so I can do that work and then turn around and be creative. I don't feel like I've drained that well. But I haven't done any transcription in a while because I started the podcast and now this takes so much time that this is what I'm doing most of the time. Your MFA has a concentration in playwriting and a couple of the people that I've talked to that are playwrights say that working in that medium helps their dialogue skills in writing fiction. So did you have that experience too? And what other skills do you think translate between playwriting and fiction writing? Definitely with the dialogue. I always feel like my fiction is almost too dialogue heavy at times. I feel like dialogue is just One of the more interesting things for me to write, interesting to read stories that have a lot of dialogue. And that definitely comes from my background in playwriting. But I also think playwriting can be helpful with thinking about body language in a character and and the way a character might express something without speaking, you know, the subtext of what they're saying, their body language, the way they're emoting, they're feeling without actually saying the words. We're talking about freelancing and you were talking about these different jobs that you pick up. Where do you find these jobs? How do you get hired for them? My brother actually runs a marketing agency. So he gives me a lot of work. I also find some work on uh, different sites like Thumbtack, Upwork. I've kind of built up a client base now so Mm -hmm. that I've gotten kind of repeat projects from people I've worked for in the past. But it's definitely possible. Uh, you kind of have to, to hustle and constantly be out there looking for, for work. I am familiar with Upwork. I haven't heard of Thumbtack. I've done a little bit of that type of work when I was in between 
writing novels and deadlines just for some extra cash on the side. I also found uh, that just doing transcription was easy for me because I type super fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I used to be a medical transcription. That's the kind of thing that I can do, and it's not taxing me mentally, like in the creative area. I'm just transcribing. So I can do that work and then turn around and be creative. I don't feel like I've drained that well. But I haven't done any transcription in a while because I started the podcast, and now this takes so much time that this is what I'm doing most of the time. Your MFA has a concentration in playwriting, and a couple of the people that I've talked to that are playwrights say that working in that medium helps their dialogue skills in writing fiction. So did you have that experience too, and what other skills do you think translate between playwriting and fiction writing? Definitely with the dialogue. I always feel like my fiction is almost too dialogue-heavy at times. I feel like dialogue is just one of the more interesting things for me to write, interesting to read stories that have a lot of dialogue. And that definitely comes from my background in playwriting. But I also think playwriting can be helpful with thinking about body language in a character and and the way a character might express something without speaking, you know, the subtext of what they're saying, their body language, the way they're emoting, they're feeling without actually saying the words. I think playwriting can be a good character development tool as well. And playwriting, I've had a couple different people on the podcast that have experience in playwriting. It seems like, much like poetry, it is an art that in some ways is very selfless in the creation because there's not a lot of money in it. I would say there's not... A lot of money in playwriting unless you are living in New York and you have some hit on Broadway. I think all the playwrights I know just do it for for the love of it. There's something magical that happens in theater, even if it's just a small theater with an audience of 50 people. Like there, There's some kind of magic that takes place. Those 50 people and the people on stage and the crew, like they're the only ones who are ever going to experience this play this way on this night. And I think that's kind of beautiful. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Lastly, what is up next for you and where can listeners find you online? I am currently in the middle of revising uh, book three in my Muse Chronicles trilogy we on the sky is book one of that trying to get that out i'm hoping to have that out sometime in the fall online man i'm like i'm everywhere online but my main website is sarahcrawford.net which is s-a-r-a no h and then i just started a creativity blog findcreativeexpression.com i'm over there just talking about creativity tips and interviewing different creative people and I think it's always useful for creatives to talk to other creatives about their process and even just finding your people. I think it's so important for us. I think so too. And and I think there's so much that we can learn from each other, not only just as writers, but writers and actors and poets and singers and songwriters and painters and everything. I think if we kind of work together in sort of an intersectional 
artist community. It's, it's really cool. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. If you find the podcast or blog helpful, please consider making a donation by visiting GoFundMe.com and searching for Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire. Or visit the blog by going to WriterWriterPantsOnFire.blogspot.com. Click on the podcast tab and then the PayPal button. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. Join me next week for another episode of Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire, where writers talk about things that never happened to people that don't exist.